Godliness. Piety versus pietism. And what does it mean to be a pious person? All that and more on this episode of the Cafe Sola podcast as we get into episode three of Has American Christianity Failed? The Bible Study Book Study. Hi, this is Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. A few years ago, I wrote a little book called Has American Christianity Failed? And on my YouTube channel, I asked if anybody was using that book for a book study or a Bible study of theirs. Well, my friend Christopher Hogan let me know that their Bible class was using the book, that they had some questions, and in fact, that they were recording the Bible study and they were going to make it available on the internet and as a podcast as well. So that's what you've found. The study is about to begin. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you enjoy it, too. I'm Christopher Hogan. This is the Cafe Sola podcast, or if you're watching on YouTube, I guess we call it the Cafe Sola video. Thank you for joining us for this third episode of the Cafe Sola podcast in our Has American Christianity Failed Bible Study series. I would like to remind you quickly to like this podcast and also to follow it wherever you need to do that. And subscribe, whether you're watching this on YouTube or on podcast. And then YouTube, hit the notification bell. And share it with friends. We need to get more of this book and uh, a good Lutheran teaching out there. So please share, 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 and share alike. As you can see, I've got the PowerPoint all queued up and ready to go. So without further ado, here is Episode 3 of Has American Christianity Failed? The Bible Study, or Book Study, or... Bible study, whichever one you want. Here we go. Stepped in. We were discussing pietism. I figured that the other side of that is to, is to back up a little bit and decide what is piety? Are they the same thing? When you hear the word piety, someone's a pious person, what do you think of? That person's so pious. Usually it refers to Catholics. Prestige in regards to faith. Prestige. That's a good word. Could you make it more simple for me? <laughs> um, basically, honor with faith. Honor in terms of faith rather than honor in worldly deeds. Oh, okay. Do you think people that are pious or have a piety get looked down on by other Christians sometimes? Or, I know as a Catholic, I did. It can go both ways. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's move forward. What did we say that pietism was? Anybody remember? Steve? What is pietism? Yes. Oh, I, I wasn't looking it up. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I uh, actually was... Uh, a, a All eyes forward. A word popped in my head, religiosity, you know. Oh, that's a good word. Yeah, yeah. right. So yeah. kind of a paradigm word. Yeah, religiosity is a real good word. Pietism teaches that the Christian life continues. We, 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 revivalism was where it started with us. Well, it didn't start with the Holy Spirit working in us. We, pi, uh, revivalists kind of ignore that part, and they say, on the day I made a decision, that's when my faith started. Well, pietism teaches that it continues with us, and it's evidenced by our growth in good works. In pietism, all the attention is focused on what's going on inside of us. We're looking... We're navel-gazing. We're looking inside. How are we doing? Am I doing good today? One of the questions pietists often ask is, you know, is God happy with me today? Or is God upset with me today? Did, did I, am I doing everything I woke up and resolved to do today? 
pub, that reminds me when the theme of the sermon would be, let's say, the flood. Okay. But our kids would be in Sunday school class and they would have the same theme. You know, they would be also studying the flood. And I thought that was really cool, uh, mm -hmm. you know, back in those days. I think they still do that today, don't they? I mean, I haven't been... I think we've gotten away from that, but I think I've had a discussion with Pastor not that long ago, and, and the goal is to, to have all the Sunday school lessons tied together. Yeah. Oh, that's... Which would be great. I know. So that if the big sermon, if you will, is all about the depth of that right. story... But scale down to uh, yeah. the comprehensive level of a... What I would say is the children's lessons should be the light roast of the coffee, if you will, and the adult lessons should be the dark roast of the coffee. It's like you get a little bit more, a little deeper, have a chance to ask questions. It's like education. I mean, you know, you don't you don't learn chemistry until you learn the other sciences, you know, at least up to right. and, and I, you know, having being married to a teacher and, and knowing many teachers, it's like, wait a minute, you're still studying that in high school when they learn that in elementary school or middle school? It's like, yeah, because it's all the different levels. It all builds on itself. And if you don't go deeper, if you don't go farther into it, yeah. you know. So um, what is the difference between pietism and Christian piety? Well, Christian piety compared to pietism is uh, the cultivation of godly habits or biblical godliness. Well, that's where we get into this. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Can people pick on you or, you know, oh, you know, you're... Holier than thou is, is a phrase that I heard a lot growing up. Um, oh, I forgot. There's an emphasis on personal faith and personal growth in in Pietism. It's not. Uh, the, the, it's all inwardly focused. So, here's a scripture. It's interesting that you use the small g in there for, for godly habits. Uh huh. You think of the Muslims; they are certainly pious. Displaying piety because they, they're, they're dead set on I got to obey these rules to please God. Mm -hmm. Piety is just a word, right? So you can have a, a Hindu that's pious, a Muslim that's pious, a atheist that's pious. They're really good with their atheism, yeah. <laughs> you know. So it is kind of just a word, and in the Christian vernacular, it's godly habits, which Muslims would say they're godly habits too, probably, right? Yes. Just the wrong God. And the Hindus also. Yeah, yeah. And Buddhists. So and Buddhists, yeah. They're all around us. If you pray five times a day, you're a very pious Muslim. If you make the trip to Mecca and Medina or whatever, you're a very pious Muslim. So they consider those to be their godly habits. What are our godly habits? We're going to get into that. What is biblical godliness? That's the, that's a question that just popped into my head while I was getting ready for this. I said, what is biblical godliness? So, of course, I did a word search of godliness. <coughs> Not all the scriptures that come up when you talk about that fit. Keeping the mosaic laws would be one. That would be pious. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. That would be what we're called to do or strive to do, but that's when it can get bad. It go into a bad direction sometimes, right? Like I'm, I'm. A, you become a Pharisee. You become. I've kept the law. But you were required to do those things. Sure. Yeah. During the Old Testament. You're you're not you're not excused from the commandment to love God and love neighbor. You're not excused from the commandment to 
not covet and to not steal and to not commit adultery and to not all those things. But pietism becomes where that's that's the focus of your faith. My focus is on how am I doing? How am I doing with those things? Not am I supposed to do them, but how am I doing with them? And it's kind of a little fine line thing. Here's a scripture from 2 Peter 1, and we'll read all 3 through 7. Anybody want to read that? Anyone? Anyone? The divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge of self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with a brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. This is the ESV translation, so it's right. <laughs> I was going to break this down in a cool way, and then I forgot to do it, but it's like, has granted, by which, so that, having, for this reason, uh, there's this, you, you, if you kind of break it down in your head, it kind of starts coming together, you know, uh, in a different way, but a good way, not a way that's not meant to be there, but a good way. Um but the whole point of this passage that we're going to pull out is that this godliness, the, the divine power God has granted to us, right? The divine power got, uh, has been granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And Luther says, St. Peter does not want this divine power in us to be understood in such a way that we have the ability to create heaven and earth and should work miracles as God does. That's not the divine power that has been granted to us. So when he says his divine power has granted to us, it's granted something to us. His power has given us something, right? No, we have divine power with us to the degree that it is useful and necessary for us. What God gives us is, is what we need, and we, you know, we don't lack. He's not going to hold back unless we're just not ready for something, I suppose. You know, it's like you're not ready for this yet. That is, we have the kind of divine power with which we are abundantly blessed to do good. We're abundantly blessed by the divine power, by God, to do good and to live eternally. So why would I want to do good? I'm already saved through yeah, why? the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Luther's answer to that very question was, now that you are saved, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Exactly. And that's this whole point. And it comes through the knowledge of him who called us to be his own. Called us to his own glory. This godliness comes through not our emotions, not what we feel on the inside, but it comes to us from knowledge that we get from the outside, which is another thing that's a big issue in the church for some reason. It comes and goes in history, but it's like, oh... It's all head knowledge for you people and not heart knowledge. Well, my heart's going to lead me down a bad path. I'm sorry. It's just going to it's going to want me to believe what I want to believe and not doubt what I should doubt, you know. And I think this is pointing us more in a direction of saying God 
gives you faith. That's the biggest thing he does, right? And through that faith, you will do good works. Faith does good work. Faith works, if you will. Now, does that mean that you should go to a church where, oh, everybody has, you know, has faith, so we don't have to preach the third use of the law? No, 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 no. There's three uses of the law, and they all have to be mentioned. There's just a primary use of the law, the second use. But you can't ignore the third use, the guide in the Christian life. What here now that, like Gary said, now that you are have faith, now what? Right? But you can't turn that into Jesus died for you, what are you going to do for him? You can't say that. Because then it becomes works focused. And that's just the wrong direction to go. Later in that second Peter says, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness. And here godliness is defined as the reverence, respect, and devotion owed to God uh, and his word, which is to be apparent in our conduct towards others. Hmm. Ponder that. The reverence, respect, and devotion owed to God and his word which is to be apparent in our conduct to others. And again, the precepts in the Bible help you build relationships with other people. And actions contrary to the precepts destroy relationships. Right. We're, gonna, we're, 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 we're relational beings. We are going to have relations with, not relations, sorry. We're going to have relationships <laughs> with other people. It's just going to happen. We're either going to have bad ones or good ones. We're going to meet somebody, and we're going to want to get to know them, or we're going to meet somebody and be turned off by them and not want to have anything to do with them. We're going to have some form of relationship with people. What is going to guide and, and shape that, how we treat others? Our reverence, respect, and devotion to God and his word is going to shape our piety, if you will. It's going to shape how we are. What did we say piety was on the first page? Godly habits. The cultivation of godly habits. What is, what, why bother cultivating godly habits? For yourself? So you can go around and brag on Facebook just how you can, what, the, what do they call it, virtue signaling or something? It's like, I'm going to just brag on Facebook about how much I pray every day and how, how many times I go to church and, and, and how awesome I am. and. Uh, Okay, and then people are going to meet you, and they're going to say, you're kind of a jerk. You know, you're not the same person we, we, we read on Facebook, because you're virtue signaling. Your, 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 your devotion life isn't matching up so much with your relational life. But if you're honest with people and say, hey, you know, I'm only saying this stuff because I'm studying it and learning it and growing and all that kind of stuff, and that's, I'm trying to share it with other people. I'm not saying I'm perfect, and people will accuse you of that. But Luther says that, that this uh, means that in our whole outward life, in what we do or suffer, he adds or suffer, that's kind of interesting, we should conduct ourselves in such a way that we serve God and do not seek our own glory and advantage. It means that God alone must be praised by what we do, and that we must act in such a way that one can see that we do everything for God's sake. Easy breezy, right? That's so easy. Is that easy, Max? 
to live in such a way that one can see what we that, that we're doing everything for God's sake. Everything you do is for God's sake. No. No. It's hard. The old Adam wants to get in there and and mess with things all the time. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for that, right? We shouldn't strive to have this piety. Any comments on that before we move on? I just like how he said, what we do or suffer. It's easy when life is good. Right? When life is good, it's so easy to praise God and be all, hey, you know, God's awesome. Look how great my life is. I have a nice car. I have a nice house. I have a great family. And then one of your children gets diagnosed with cancer. How are you going to do in those times? You lose your best friend to a car accident. How are you going to do in those times? Your wife walks out on you for no good reason, other than the fact that you don't pick up your clothes or something. How are you going to do in those times? Are you going to appear before everybody? Um, uh, that, that you can be able to praise God in all circumstances? Doesn't mean you have to be happy about what's going on, right? But how are, are people going to see you staying faithful, staying steadfast? Uh, we read somewhere steadfastness. Are they going to see you staying steadfast? It reminds me of God asks you to pray for your enemies. You know how they can? How can we actually do that on our own? We can't. You know, right. automatically. Right. Think the other way. And it's easy to bless those who bless you. It's hard to bless those who don't bless you. I think Job is a good example of our Mm-hmm. Yeah, the treasure of daily prayer right now has been in Job for the last you know, week or whatever. And it's I haven't read Job in a long time, and it's a journey. Just held up as, you know, here, you know, see, you know, when trials and tribulations come, you have to remain steadfast. And this, and this all leads to what our piety. What's our? How does our piety help us in those sufferings? Help us in those. It's easy to have piety when life is good, except when life is good, we tend to stop doing certain pious things. <laughs> when people come to the realization that they say, "Why not me? You know, mm -hmm. Why shouldn't I have? Why should everything go perfect in my life?" Why not yeah. have? Yeah. Why should, Why am I immune to problems in this world? There are families that we all probably know who ne almost nothing bad ever seems to happen to. They all seem to be happy, and they all they you know they never get in car accidents, and they never nobody in the family ever gets terribly sick. Every investment's a good every one. investment's a good one, and then we all know those other families where it seems like every month somebody's getting in an accident or something bad's going on, and you just have to go back. If you know your scriptures, you go back to why did this man? Why was this man blind or whatever? Was it because of him or his parents? And the answer is neither. It's so God can be glorified. How do you glorify God in the fact that you were born blind? You can't read the scriptures. How can you glorify God? You can hear the scriptures. You can learn what it means to have a godly life. And you can glorify God through that through your vocation. We don't talk enough about vocation. Forget about talking enough about the Holy Spirit. We don't talk enough about vocation. 
we talk about all sorts of other things, stewardship and and godly living, if you will, and all that kind of stuff. But we never really get down to vocation, godly godliness in vocation. You have to remember that during the time, of, you know, when scripture was written, most people didn't read and write. I mean, they had to learn their everything through somebody else. Yeah. You know? I'm, 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 I believe that, but I'm not so sure. It makes us think that they were, you know, kind of ignorant <clears throat> people. <laughs> no. And I don't I think they were. They, were, they could memorize really, really well. Yeah. That's why Luther wrote... Uh, to the Germans. Yeah. Um, so why should we even bother discussing, we, we, we kind of asked the question a week or two ago, why should we discuss American Christianity in, anyway, but why should we discuss being a pious person or having piety versus pietism? There's, there's good reason to. Right? Let's see if there is. Because at this time, we've really had a movement inside of Lutheranism itself that has, by confusing pietism and piety, sort of uh, elevated Elevated not cultivating godly habits as the be-all and end-all of, of what it is to be a Lutheran. And that's just wrong. I mean, it's wrong. Wrong wrong historically, wrong theologically. You cannot reconcile that with the Book of Concord. You know, there, there were t-shirts, weak on sanctification, as though that were something to be proud of instead of something to say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner about. So... This is a time where we need to actually sort of take a moment, step back into the scriptures and into the history of our church and see how we've gotten off track when it comes to uh, uh, cultivating godly habits in the lives of our people and our own lives. So that's the big question. How do we cultivate godly habits in people? Right? What, what, what plays into that? Well, um, we talked about that. Christian piety is is uh, in focus. So, what are the marks? I'm not going to play audio there. Um, what are the marks of true biblical or Lutheran piety? We're going to talk about that. But there are two distinguishing parts of it. What does Luther say? Um, I forget the exact quote. Sorry. Um, it's kind of when you talk about the Christian life. What's the Christian life? Kind of what defines the, the Christian life. First of the 95 Theses. When you understand it's not about you, but it's, about, it's all about him. Yeah, well, the, the entirety of the Christian life should be one of repentance. Right? Sounds sad, but it's true. Because when we stop thinking we have a need to repent, we stop needing Jesus. I was teaching Bible class in the old gym when Chris Hogan showed up. But during that, where it was a positive experience for Chris Hogan, it was a very negative experience for another man who was there for, I don't know, six months, a year. He came up, he says, I won't be back. And I go, why not? He says, because I always feel so guilty when I walk out of here. <laughs> And I, I thought to myself, is that because I'm only preaching or teaching law? Or is it because the scripture convicts and he couldn't stand the conviction? Yeah. He was true to his word. He never showed up again. Mm. And that was sad, I thought. 
And then that silly Chris Hogan guy. Couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> See, if, if our life is to be one of confession and contrition and repentance, then he didn't want to hear what he had to, to repent of. Yeah. Because some and, people... And that wasn't my goal. My goal, right. whatever I was teaching on, was had nothing to do with trying to make him feel guilty. And he did. And it should, if it's, if, it, if you're... I don't know what it was. But... I don't remember either, but see, that's that's sort of what points to American Christianity. American Christianity wants to find ways to make you feel better. Joel Osteen's your best life now. Um, all these kind of things. Seven habits to a successful marriage. Uh, Twenty things you can do to make sure your kids never drift from the faith, you know, or whatever. It, it's that this self-help Christianity is all about that, as opposed to law and gospel. We're going to teach and preach the law, and we're going to teach and preach the gospel, and you're going to be convicted. Sorry. It's going to happen. I think I told you the story, Gary, was how when I first opened the Bible, my very first one, uh, other than the Catholic one, I started reading it. It just was one big slap in the face. You know? you, you The first thing you tend to see is the law when you start reading the scriptures, because <clears throat> God needs to break you a little bit. He needs to be like a drill sergeant, get his two-by-four out, his hammer, and he needs to break you a little bit so that he can build you up in the faith. And then the whole Christian life is a cycle of that. It's, it's You have to constantly, we're going to try and get too proud of ourselves, and he has to make us less proud. We're going to try and think we're all you know into pietism, and then he's going to bring us back down. <laughs> so that all keeps going and, and leads us into our lesson. So what does biblical, I always say Lutheran because somebody told me one time that in heaven, you know, it's like there's a question, are there only going to be Lutherans in heaven? It's like, no, there aren't going to be only Lutherans in heaven, but everybody in heaven is going to be a Lutheran. <clears throat> because the definition of Lutheranism is just believing what the Bible says, as opposed to making stuff up that makes us feel good. And it's a little bit high and mighty, but I kind of like it anyway, because... That sounds like piety, right? It is. It's piety, piety pietism, right? Uh, but one of the things that piety looks like is going to church. Now, we talk about this all the time. Does going to church make you a better Christian or a worse Christian? Well, it depends on how you look at it. Does it make you... If you go every week and somebody else goes every other week, you know, do you... you know, does that make you better and them worse? No. If you go and they don't go, does it make you better and them worse? Not necessarily. But are there benefits to going versus not going? Yes, right? Because that's part of our piety. God calls us to gather. God calls us through his word to gather. Do not forsake the assembly of yourself. Um, uh, gather together as believers, right? He calls us to uh, confess our sins. Confess your sins one to another. It's, it, this is biblical stuff. All this piety is all biblical stuff. Confess your sins one to another. Forgive each other's sins. Now, it doesn't mean if I sin against my wife, I have to go tell my best friend. It's confessing if you sin against a person, you tell that person. If it's a private sin, you confess it privately. If it's a public sin, watch out for Facebook. <laughs> Um, but that's part of our piety is our confession, confessing our sins. 
Another part of our piety is hearing, reading, and studying the scriptures, which is what we're doing today. This is a very pious thing to do. Not pietism, it's just pious. It's a very godly habit to have, to open the scriptures on Saturday morning when we get around to them. <laughs> That's why I started out with scripture today. Uh, another habit is hearing the preaching of the word. Right? That's a good, pious, good piece, good piece of piety. The Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of yourself. It also says, you know, to be about the hearing of the word. Right? Because faith comes by hearing. But we confess the creed. That's a very nice little bit of piety. Why? Why, why confess the creed? There are churches that say, Oh, that's just man-made. That's something a man wrote down. So we don't, we're, we're not about creeds. They have their own creeds, but they're not about the creeds. Why, why say the creed every week? Because it's based in the Bible. Yeah. Everything in there can be found in the scriptures. It's a, it's a, it's a confession. They're called, we call it a creed, but it's a confession of what's in scripture. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You can find that in the Bible. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. You can find him in the Bible and all that stuff. And in the Holy Spirit, you know, you can find that in the Bible. So that's why we confess it. If you confess the creed daily, you're confessing the Christian faith daily into your life. If you wake up in the morning, say, say certain things, you know, whatever, and confess that. You're confessing the creed. You're confessing the faith. Another thing is when we receive the Lord's body and blood. That's a very good piety. Why? Because Jesus says to. And because it has benefits. It forgives sins. How can the... Well, Gary, you're, you're all catechism -y. How can the mere consumption of bread and wine forgive sins? <laughs> it is not the simple eating and drinking indeed that does them, but the words here written, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, it's through the word. You know, you could have the word and not the bread and wine, I guess, but, get, but God gave us means. He gave us water to wash with, with his word. He gave us bread and wine to drink and eat with his word. He gave us means for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the two central marks of our Christian faith? Their repentance, confession, and contrition, and faith. And contrition has two parts, right? Sorrow over sin and faith that your sins are forgiven. That's what true repentance is. You, you agree with God that what you did was wrong. That's the law working. And you have faith that what you did wrong, the price has been paid for it. That's the gospel. We should never tire of hearing that. My wife told Pastor Cordray that uh, she doesn't understand why after he pronounces God's forgiveness on us, that nobody does anything. You know, we'll clap for a song, <laughs> but we won't clap for the fact that we have received forgiveness of our sin, multitude of sin. So she says... Uh, we give an amen, don't we? I don't know. So she says, I nice to you the forgiveness. just shout, hallelujah, or amen, or yippee, you know, and... For the long, but when we were going to Wednesday night church, 
he would say that, he'd kind of look over at her like, are you going to do it? <laughs> I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, amen. There's an amen at the end of that, which means this is most certainly true. That's really all we need to, that's all God requires of us. Yippee would be a non-pious response. You're right. Yippee would be pietism. But her point was that, look what just happened. Mm-hmm. Our sins are forgiven. Oh, her point is great because we don't really when we're when we walk are walking down to the rail and coming back from the rail. I think we're kind of disconnected. It's, we got to stop being disconnected from that. Something very real and very important happens in that moment. Are you forgiven even if you don't go down? Yes. Yes. But when you do go down and you do receive forgiveness in your mouth through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Something real is happening there. But he also says, it isn't just, I should, this is only the forgiveness of sins and strengthening of faith. It's also a remembering of what our Savior did for us. Yeah, yeah. There's at least three parts yeah. to that. Yeah. It is a strengthening of faith, yeah. too, because if you truly believe that 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 what's happening there is happening there, you're, you can't help but walk away stronger. You know, maybe you'll sin a little less. Maybe you won't. I don't know. You know, but then. That doesn't mean some people go. Well, I can't go to communion because oh, I've, I've sinned really, really bad. It's like get there as fast as you can. Our <laughs> repentance and faith—things that we work in ourselves—we think repentance is, but it's not. Do we work faith in ourselves? No. So how can we work repentance in ourselves? We can't. We just repentance is something God works in us through the preaching and reading and hearing and studying of his word. The Bible has just this weird way of saying, repent therefore, like it's like, okay, I'm going to go out and repent today. Well, if you have any desire to repent, if you actually do feel convicted and turn from your wicked ways, it's because the Holy <laughs> Spirit did his job and you didn't reject it. Okay, we're getting close to a video clip. Does our piety, our Christian life and faith end where it starts in the divine service? Is that where we're supposed to be pious? And that's it. And we walk out the door, piety over, sorry. Of course the answer is no, right? We used to have signs on the exits that I wish they'd put back to the parking lot, right? Yeah, what did they say? You are now entering the mission field. Because your your forgiveness doesn't end there. Your forgiveness that you have received extends out from there into the community. The 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 word that you received should, as Luther said earlier, impact how you relate to other people. My younger brother, who's uh, he sent me a copy of his book last night that he's writing, and uh, one of the things that jumped out there at me was that. A lot of Christians, most Christians, are just settling for salvation. Settling for salvation. That's an interesting right. term. In other words, I'm saved, that's all I care. My father said that to me, and I trust that. He said, all I want to be is the last guy in the door before they close the door. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, oh. You know, the squeaking in person. Squeaking in? Oh, yeah, yeah. out of the wire. Yeah. But settling for salvation was a powerful statement, because it told me that, yeah, I'm saved, so... Forget the rest of this. Forget the rest of you. All I care about is me. 
<coughs> instead of, wait a minute, now that I'm saved, now what? Yeah. There's other things he wants me to do. Right. Well, there are definitely, the Bible says, good works prepared in advance for you to do. The main one of that is believing. And then from that believing, what do you do? But it's not a matter of, of, of um, I think it's a Methodist thing, I'm not sure, where it's like, Jesus died for you. Now get busy. You know, what are you going to do for him? Because that just takes you in the wrong direction. It takes you into the works direction. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't go do nice stuff for other people? No. Does it mean that you won't? No, you will. You're, if you have faith, faith will work. God will work through that faith. But you don't get to also sit back and say, eh, okay, God, you know, when are you going to work through me? <laughs> it's a little bit tricky. Um, how does our piety make uh, make us help the world? I forgot the word there. Uh, I want to get to the video, so we'll listen to this. This is a real short clip. But how does our piety make us help the world? How does us being more in the word, in the church service, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff, how does that help us? Because we're talking about that right now, right? We're talking about going out into the world and, and taking it with us. Yeah, there, there's a humility to the works that the Lord has established for us. And I, I've been hearing this more and more, and it's really a helpful sort of thing. I mean, as we look at the world kind of falling apart, and, uh, uh, and we say, well, what can I do? Well, the, the answer is, well, you can do your vocation. You can pray. You can serve your neighbor. You can love your family. You can teach that your children the Lord's word and his wisdom. You can learn his wisdom yourself. Uh, all the, the, that, in fact, the solution to the big problems is in the humble life. And that, that, that's how the Lord has established things, how he's ordered things up, that we you know, honor our father and our mother, and we protect the lives of our neighbors. And through, through that, the Lord continues to bring life into the world. We think, I think, I think most people think, because of the way the world is, that, that the answer is in the extraordinary. American Christianity certainly aims in that direction. The answer to uh, things is in us going out and being extraordinary. God works through ordinary. He does that. He did extraordinary. I mean, he created the world, all this kind of stuff, right? But the works for our neighbor aren't in doing the extraordinary. The works for our neighbor are in the ordinary. Bread is ordinary. Wine is ordinary. Water is ordinary. God works through ordinary. Or you get into what we'll probably talk about next week, which is mysticism, which we won't touch on that too much. If you, if you, if you don't focus on the, the acknowledging that it's in the ordinary and you want to get into the extraordinary, you get into mysticism. Again, help, help the world. 95% of the world believes or operates on the basis, I don't care what you know until I know that you care. How do you let them know that you care? You let them know that you care by forgiving them when they um, when they sin against you. you. You let them know that you care by loving them when they are they're unlovable. Um, it's not about, um, you didn't lend me your lawnmower Maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> but you, you love your neighbor. And by loving your neighbor, even if you never convert your neighbor, your heathen, pagan, unbelieving neighbor, you love that neighbor. All right? 
you can lend them your lawnmower to build a relationship, but then you know, please share the gospel message with them too. Once. Please, yeah, Gary does all the time, right? Yeah, Gary does do it all. Well, but you, but, and, and I'm not trying to put too much law on you, but you do share it more than I do, probably. And it's like, yeah, I just want to spend eternity with you. It's like, wow. The guy that bought Dell's house is a Hindi. Oh, that'll be interesting. Okay. So as Christians, what is our great blessing? How do we, you know, we see crazy stuff going on in the world. What's, what's our great blessing in that? Comfort, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Yeah. Gentleness. What 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 do we get? What's our vocation? He mentioned vocation. What's what vocation do we have when we watch the news and we see all this terrible stuff going on, or we know people and terrible stuffs going on? Well, we get to pray for them. Sometimes that's all you get to do, and that's not to say that it's not important. It's so important. You get to pray. You get to pray for your neighbor. You get to pray for the guy that bought um, Dell's house. You get to pray for your president, even if you don't like him every four to eight years. You know, you get to do these things or get tos. You know, I just had a thought that uh, I used this one Sunday, but it's a Jim Greedleism. Uh huh. Greedle says that the church is spending its money in the wrong way. What we need to do is we need to say, okay, every member that in, invites someone to church and Bible class uh, gets $100. And he says that money would be so much better spent than how we're, we're, we're spending millions of dollars in advertisements mm -hmm. and stuff like that. You know, uh, He says what you have to do is appeal to people's greed. <laughs> you know, and I went... Yeah, I'm afraid that's right. It would probably I'm work. That's right. yeah. One time during the summer for a, for Bible class, he said we're going to have to the child that invites the most friends, and the adult that invites the most friends, we're going to have a helicopter land out here, and they get a helicopter ride. We have never had such a big Sunday school. Yeah. Because they all wanted to, to uh, you know, and you knew what Johnny Schmidt. Right. I don't know who the kid was. <clears throat> Johnny Schmidt. Yeah. I just wonder about, I think that would work for sure, but I think it would work because it might trip over into pietism. Um, we start getting, I, I invited more people than Gary did. I got, you know. And we, we dismissed everybody out of class, you know, at the yeah. end of this program. We all went out and watched them, and, you know, it was a big deal. And it was, and after, as it was going on, I went, this is sad. <laughs> you know? Because yeah. then those kids start going back to the Bible. <laughs> Read about rewards, Dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah really. Greater my rewards. Yeah. Well, let me tell you the real story of the prodigal son. <laughs> son. It has nothing to do with getting something, you know, for your work. It has to do with getting something because of God's grace. Anyway, uh, here's some prayer things, and then we're going to get to the video. Uh, we get to pray. We get to pray Luther's morning and evening prayer. I put that out there from time to time to, without putting that it's from Luther, just so that people will hopefully read it. Because it's if you strip away sometimes the fact that it's quote-unquote Lutheran, people will actually listen a little bit more. So, you know, I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, our Lord, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you'll keep me this day also from sin and every evil. May your holy angel be with me, that the evil power may, uh, foe may have no power over me, you know. 
for into your hand I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. You know, if you pray that every morning, which I don't do it as often as I should, but I try, and then you pray his evening prayer, I thank you, my heavenly Father, you kept me this day. You know, so you, you pray that he'll... Uh, you know, then you've, you've prayed twice a day. Gary Rockman preached this and preached this and preached this. And if you do it often enough, first of all, it's in your head. Second of all, it's just a great way to start your day. Ask the Lord to keep you from sin and every evil that day, and then confess that you didn't do it well, and you need his forgiveness at the end of the day, and go to sleep. And I love how Lucia, he says, now go to sleep. You're no trusting that, that your sins are forgiven. Just Cares of the world should be gone, in a sense. Just go to sleep. Having trouble sleeping? Wake up and pray the evening prayer. <laughs> go back to sleep. <laughs> um, and all these things are good. We get, to, we get to the creeds, the Lord's Prayer. We get to pray for our family. We get to pray for our pastors and the, the Christian church. We get to have our table prayers, which most of the time are, are not table prayers in the Christian church. The, the, the ex-cordray prayers at dinner time are, are from the heart are more like, they're good. They're not bad. They're like, thank you, Lord, for watching over the kids, and thank you, Lord, for this great day. Those are things you could say anytime. You should say them at bedtime. But at the dinner table, you're there to thank the Lord for the food and ask him to bless the food because all things are sanctified by the word of God in prayer. You're there to have that food sanctified. It's more evangelical to throw all that other stuff in at table time. It's not Lutheran to do that. I didn't used to do anything but come Lord Jesus, not come Lord Jesus. What was the Catholic version of come Lord Jesus? Um, bless us, this Lord. Bless us. Bless us, O Lord, in these thy gifts which we are about to receive through Christ our Lord, uh, from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. That was the, the Catholic version of the Lutheran table prayer. You can't leave Pastor Wolf Miller's videos coming. <laughs> I got to go. I got to pick up my bride. Well, you're going to miss the video. Okay. So, piety unfortunately, is less appealing than pietism. Pietism focuses on us and, and our innards and, and, and our growth and how much better we're doing, and piety focuses on God and neighbor. That's the two differences between them. Pietism is focused inside, and piety is focused outside. Why am I studying? Why am I praying? Why am I? It's all for other people. It's outward focused. So then I asked Pastor Wolfmill, I said, is there a danger... But piety becoming pietism. Can you be so pious that you become pietism into pietism? And he had some interesting things to say. Christopher's Church is doing a book study on Has American Christianity Failed? They have a question about piety versus pietism. Now, one of the marks of American Christianity that we identified anyway, we have four marks. Uh, decisionism, pietism, uh, mysticism, and enthusiasm. And so their question about pietism is, if having a certain piety, a Lutheran biblical piety, is good, which we know it is, in other words, praying, reading scripture, learning the word, learning wisdom, teaching the commandments, the creed, the Lord's prayer, the word to our family and kids, can piety be or become a bad thing? In other words, can piety turn into pietism? What would be warning signs for Christians to be aware that it is happening so they can guard against piety turning into pietism? Can we become too pious, too holy? Can we have too much piety? Should we be skeptical of genuine piety? Very, very good questions. Now, this has to do with pietism. The danger, piety as good, piety means godly living, versus pietism, 
which means, well, there's different definitions of pietism, and this is a little bit, tr a little bit tricky. I, I'm going to give you three different definitions of pietism, and they all get at it from different angles. The definition that I have in the book is that good works are exalted over doctrine. It's more important to grow in good works than it is to keep the doctrine pure. And you hear a lot of things like in Christ American Christianity today, like deeds are more important than creeds. That's that form of pietism. My friend, Pastor Brian Flammy, defines pietism is that the order of salvation becomes a chronological reality rather than a theological reality. And this is a, actually a really profound definition of pietism. It, it, it takes repentance. Remember, repentance is contrition, sorrow over sin, and faith, trust in God. And it makes that, that's how your Christian life is. So you have the experience of conversion. You go deeper into sin, and then you, you made a decision, and you submitted your life, and now you're growing in good works. And that that kind of strict chronological arrangement of all of these spiritual things in our life is one of the marks of pietism. So they zoom in on the experience, on the experience of becoming a Christian, on the experience of, of growing in good works, things like this. My other friend, Pastor Ketchemeyer, maybe I have more than two friends, but at least I know I've got those two. He defines pietism as, man, as a man-made system of religious activity, and he wants to focus in on the man-madeness, and this is actually helpful for distinguishing piety from pietism, that piety would be according to God's law and the Ten Commandments, whereas pietism is inventing extra works to indicate our own piety. So if we take our piety from the Ten Commandments, we have the positive piety of the first part of the law and the negative piety of the second table of the law. I, I, got, I need to draw a chart for that. Look at this huge note card. Look, makes these little ones. Now, we have the Ten Commandments. The first uh, table says we should love God, first, second, third commandments, and this has to do with the piety of prayer, studying a scripture, going to church. These are positive pieties. We have on the second table, now they're not all negative, but I think our piety for the love of the neighbor comes out in a negative way. So we're disciplining the flesh, we're fasting, we're trying to, we're mortifying the flesh so that our sinful desires are being diminished. And so there's different works of piety. I think generally over here they're positive and over here they're negative, uh, in increasing our spiritual good works and uh, negating our sin and so this is a sort of a shape of biblical piety these are but what happens is when we start to add things to this we start to make up new rules about it we we start to invent uh, little legalisms and requirements then we've gone beyond the piety that's taught to us in the Ten Commandments now uh, the part of the question was what are so can piety become pietism answer yes what are the marks of that I wrote down four things, you might be a pietist if, four things to look out for. Uh, number one, if you find yourself saying or thinking or being agreeable to the idea that it's deeds, not creeds, that our works are more important than our faith, that's that flip towards pietism, that increasing, that kind of magnifying of, uh, what is that? It's a magnification of our own actions over God's word and his gifts to us. That's one of the marks of pietism. A second mark of pietism is we start to look down on other people. You start to divide up the church into the spiritual and the non-spiritual, into the enlightened and the unenlightened, into those who have a true faith and those who do not. It's one of the marks of pietism that they want to have this tiered level of Christianity. So the pietists used to ask, are you born again? Or now it's, have you truly dedicated your life to Christ? Have you, are you 
Uh, have you made Jesus Lord? Are you a, you might be a Christian, but are you a Jesus follower? This this kind of leveling out of Christianity and the Christian church in this way. That's one of the marks of pietism, and it wants to look down on the people who are not as pious as we are or that we think we are. Number three, the the experience of our spiritual life starts to move internally. It starts to be on the inside. So it's not about hearing God's word. It's not about having the Lord's body and blood. It's not about the external things. It's about the internal things. And the sphere of religious activity starts to move inside of me. And then one of the fourth things to look out for So this, by the way, means that our piety, our true biblical piety, is external. We read the Word. We pray. We go to church. It's an external sort of thing. It's not this sort of contouring, massaging the shape of our heart. But when that happens, when when our spiritual life moves inside, then one of the results of it, and this is going to be the fourth thing to look out for, is that now we start to try to shape our external life, our external living, to present ourselves as holy. So it's not, um, it's not a genuine holiness, but we are acting holy, acting enlightened, acting pious. Act, so, so, so that's one of the dangers of pietism is that I've got to keep up the show of piety. And it starts to fight against the Lord's gift of repentance, that we, that we know truly of ourselves that we are sinners that are in desperate, constant, desperate need of the Lord's mercy, uh, and that we're crying out to him for, in our time of in our time of need. So, so there's, a, a, there's a little work on what pietism is, what's the distinction between pietism and piety, what true biblical piety ought to look like, and some of the warning signs that pietism might be creeping in. Thanks, uh, Christopher, for this question. And I, oh, I don't have it. CPA, I, uh, if you guys are reading the book, the book and, uh, and you have some more questions, this is a lot of fun. And CPH, who published the book, sent me a box of CPH mugs. I left them at home. Uh, but if uh, we can do this, if you guys, uh, if you send in some more questions, uh, I'm, I might send a, a couple of these CPH mugs out to you guys as well. So post up your questions about the book below, and we'll keep recording these videos uh, and talking about it. And if you have uh, if you have more questions, we'll keep the conversations going. Thanks. God's peace yeah. be with you. Um, any discussion on that? Because that's pretty much... Um, wow. Yeah. Um, a lot to consume, but that virtue signaling is, is like the third thing he was talking about, where it's like you start, you you start, you know, saying, well, I gotta, I gotta be pious, on the, you know, acting pious as opposed to actually just it's something that's flowing from faith, you know. I got a question. I don't even, I, I don't know because I haven't read this, and I'm sure you've been reading it. Uh, Trying to religiously. Um, <laughs> I just wonder, uh, the question that I have is, how hard is it, or is it more difficult to be a Christian during contemporary times than it is in the past? Because I know that our country used the, uh, quote-unquote, the moral majority, you know, um, and, you know, times you see have really changed from the family or the meaning of family and, and religion within the family. and. You know spirituality and, and from there moving into the workplace and how people used to pray at, at football games and sports events and and uh, my moment of silence in my school is only like five seconds 
you know, I, I mean, I, I can't even get all the prayers in that I want to get in, but, you know, I guess I'll, I, you know, I'll, uh, I'll be able to speed speak or whatever, <laughs> or speed pray. There we go. Speed pray. <laughs> so, um, you know, how difficult is it today to be a Christian versus, you know, the past? I got to turn that into a good question because you deserve a coffee mug. Um, we all do. Maybe he'll send us enough for everybody. Um, but the, the the one way to think about that might be how, as modern-day Christians or American Christians, do we try and not be that, not be, um, not have, not be worse off, you know? Because uh, if you think back to the time of the, uh, uh, the biblical times, they were being, you know, put on poles and dipped in tar mm -hmm. and lit on fire. They had it pretty bad. Mm -hmm. um, if you confessed Christ for any number of years, I forget how hundreds of years probably, you were you were in bad shape. It wasn't a thing until Constantine, <clears throat> guessing correctly, in the 300s or something, where it was officially it's okay to be a Christian. Was that Constantine in 300? Anyway, 270 ish. 270 ish? Okay. And it was like, but before that, it was not exactly the best thing to go out and shout from the rooftops, but people were, and they were being martyred all the time. And Pastor Wolfmiller has a book he's coming out with on the martyrs. Yeah, yeah. So there's got to be a way to turn that into a question. What I want to do is I want to turn that into a question. End up with your head chopped off. I want to try and turn that into a question that would feed into next week, which is about mysticism, or. The following week, which is enthusiasm, I think. Um, but I'll, I, I think that's a great, a great question. You know, I'm not, so I want you to get a coffee mug. Oh, I'm not after the mug. <laughs> I just want an answer. Gary had a question about the Holy Spirit that might um, be helpful too. He was asking how, you know. Um, we kind of give the Holy Spirit, it seems, in the church a lick and a promise, like, well, the Holy Spirit, you know, sanctifies you, you know, blah, 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 you know, but then we don't really spend a lot of time on the Holy Spirit, which is kind of on purpose because the scripture, the, 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 the focus of the Holy Spirit is kind of, you know, more narrow than the focus on Christ and his work, you know, um, but the Holy, without the Holy Spirit, nobody would come to faith, without the Holy Spirit, nobody uh, be kept in the faith without the Holy Spirit all sorts of bad things would happen so there's got to be a way to come up with a question about that too yeah we wouldn't have the book that's a good question to go into mysticism because mysticism you know people get mystical when they start talking about the Holy Spirit so that might be a good question piety is, is part of I mean it's God's yeah. working in us through the Holy Spirit so the thing to keep in mind here is um, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do to be being a godly person, right? That's John 6. And then back in John 3, it said, whoever does what is true. Well, where do you find out what's true? In the scriptures. So that's why all this focuses back on, on reading, hearing, studying, praying. This piety isn't to go look inside, this piety is to, to it's, it's called extranose. All this comes from outside <coughs> of us, and then should flow back out to our neighbor. Right? Uh, Abraham is our father. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Well, what was the work that Abraham did? Was he, like, perfect? No. 
what's the work he's commended for? Having faith, right? For our scripture says Abraham believed God. He had faith. That's the work of Abraham. He had faith. He believed the promise, right? So when you're thinking about your good works, don't think about them as, you know, stuff to benefit you. Think about them as, as stuff to benefit your neighbor. That's what God, there's this the thing Luther said, which I'll, I'll bring that, put it up on the first screen next week if I can remember. God doesn't need your mercy. <laughs> your neighbor does. It's, it's just the, the focus is, you know, is, is, is outwardly. So that's the big difference between pietism and piety. Pietism is inwardly focused and piety is externally focused. So we'd rather have piety than pietism. Any other comments, questions, concerns, anything like that before we close in prayer? And we are closing in prayer. But I'm going to go ahead and show you this card. Remembering that piety is focusing on God and our neighbor and not on ourselves, if you can read that. And letting you know that next week we're going to talk about mysticism. Mysticism teaches that we can have direct, unmediated access to God, and we'll be discussing why that's not a good thing. And before we close, just remember to like and follow and subscribe and share and all those good things. And we will talk with you next week. Thanks for being here for this third edition of this Bible study, and we will see you in episode four. Thank you for joining us for this Bible study on Pastor Brian Wolfmuller's book, Has American Christianity Failed? For more from Christopher Hogan and Cafe Sola, go to cafesola.com.